You're listening to the 49 Carats Podcast, a 49ers goldmine production with Stephanie Sanchez. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another edition of the 49 Carats Podcast. I'm your host, Steph. It is Thursday, December 28th. Wednesday was an entertaining day, to say the least. Uh, Joining me to recap it with me, as always on a Thursday, is Rob Statz-Guerrero. Rob, how you doing today, man? Steph, what a week it's been. What a week. We haven't had a week like this in 49ers land in quite some time. Very true. And, you know, because of that, we have a lot to get to today. It's going to be a really fun and packed show. Uh, We're definitely going to talk about the mess that Debo sort of got himself into. But first, our Throwback Thursday segment this week in 49ers history. And I got to say that this one sort of blew my mind as I was like gathering information for it. Um, Are you ready, Rob? I'm ready. I saw your tweet about it this morning. So bring it on. Okay. All right. Here we go. Um, Okay. So the 49ers only other Christmas Day game besides Monday night's against Baltimore, December 25th, 1993, the 10-4 49ers and the 10-4 Oilers, Houston Oilers, the two highest-scoring teams in the NFL played each other on Christmas Day. Steve Young was 15 of 29, 178 yards, would be held without a touchdown. He threw two interceptions, both in the end zone, I might add, and Mm. he also fumbled in the game to help set up Oilers' Uh, quarterback Warren Moon's only touchdown of the day, which was enough to edge out the Niners. Moon threw four, three interceptions of his own. Uh, the 49ers went on to lose 10 to seven again on Christmas Day. And the 49ers' only score came from Steve Bono, who went in for Steve Young late in the third quarter. And, and George, uh, or coach George Seifert said he made the decision to remove Young. Earlier in the week, because the 49ers had already clinched the division and the number two seed, and he let Young know about that at halftime. Young tried to plead his case that he wanted to go back out there. I don't know if the turnovers had something to do with it, but of course, during the game or you know shortly after, it spurred the question of, did Steve Young get benched? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> well, it's it's actually really interesting because of course, the next year, the Niners would go on to win a Super Bowl in 94, but there was a game in that 94 season where the Niners were getting their asses handed to them by the Eagles, and Seifert pulled Young out of that game, and Young wanted to fight him on the sidelines. Like, he literally had to be held back. He said, I wanted to fight George Seifert because he felt like he was getting blamed, and so, like, maybe this benching in 93, like, tied into all of that, and uh, yeah, I mean, it. look, Every team has games like this. It's just sometimes the stuff doesn't go your way. The ball gets turned over. It doesn't bounce your way. And it looks way worse than it actually is, which I feel like is kind of what happened against the Ravens. Yeah, absolutely. And I actually have one more thing from this Oilers game that I wanted to point out. So um, after the game, Oilers defensive end Sean Jones said, quote, 49ers don't score all those points against the Uh, AFC. They've been doing it against the NFC. That sounds a lot like the 49ers this season, doesn't it? Well, they've played when they've played the AFC. They've played basically the best defenses that the conference has to offer. They played the Ravens. They played the Browns. 
you know, they've played some of the tougher defenses and they have not put up the same numbers against them that they have against the other defenses in the league. This just in, it's harder to score against tougher defenses. Like that's not new. Yeah. And, and yes, the AFC is known for their defenses, especially the AFC North. I actually saw this interaction between Grant um, and Jesse Naylor before we went live. So I had to squeeze it in here. Uh, Brock Purdy against the NFC, 72.3 completion percentage, 22 touchdowns to four interceptions. Against the AFC, he has a 62.1 completion percentage, seven touchdowns, seven interceptions. And of course, 9-1 against the NFC, two and three against the AFC. And as uh, Jesse points out, against the AFC North specifically, the 49ers are one and three, and Brock Purdy has four touchdowns to nine turnovers. Crazy. Yeah, uh, and and all that obviously is true. It's just facts, and that's fine. That doesn't um, scare me or trouble me at all, though, right? That doesn't have any impact on what would happen if they happen to play an AFC North team in the Super Bowl, which, by the way, we don't even know that that's going to be the case. Right. Uh, that's what I kept telling people. Like they were like, oh, if what if they have to play the Ravens again? One game is not connected to the other game. It doesn't have any bearing on it. The Niners kicked the Rams ass twice in 2021 and played them in the NFC championship game and lost. Like it's not the two don't connect to each other. So, yeah, you'd like those numbers to be better, of course. But that doesn't mean they can't win that game in the Super Bowl if they had to. And also, I mean, the Super Bowl is a little over two months away. There's a lot of football um, between now and then. Mm -hmm. And as we know, it's a week-to-week -week league. A lot of things can can change. So, yeah, hopefully, I mean, the 49ers don't play an AFC North team. <laughs> I'd prefer that they not. Uh, but, yeah, just something to to keep in mind and in the back of our heads. It, it is kind of, to me, it's a little bit concerning. But... You know, that's neither here nor there. It, it doesn't mean the 49ers are going to play the Ravens in the Super Bowl, although both teams certainly seem like the favorites right now. Um, but let's uh, move it along here. While we close out uh, this week in 49ers history segment, I did want to mention that Patrick Willis, among many other greats, have been named a finalist for the NFL Hall of Fame, Pro Football Hall of Fame. Um, and this is his third time making it to the final finalist round so hopefully uh third time's a charm for willis and this is the year that he gets in i hope so he certainly deserves it he's one of the best linebackers if not the best linebacker of his era um i don't think that anybody disputes his worthiness i think it's just because of the the way that the hall works and that they have five people that get in, like you end up having to wait your turn a bunch of times. And it's frustrating because like Willis, you know, he's tall enough to ride the bumper car, so to speak, but it's just, there's a lot of other stuff at play. And so he's had to wait, but I think eventually I would say if not this year, then in the next couple of years, he's going to get in. Yeah, I, I think so too. And it seems like there's, there's a window of opportunity to get in when, you know, maybe if, some years after your career. And then, you know, if you don't get it in that window, it's kind of hard to, to get back in the conversation, but yeah, hopefully Willis is able to get in this year. We would love to see that. Um, but now on, on to our big topic of the day, and it does involve Debo Samuel getting caught up in a, a bit of a mess, a bit of a web, you can say. Uh, so Debo Samuel earlier this week, well, first, let's rewind. Uh, 
the 49ers lose to the Ravens on Monday night. During the game, Micah Parsons tweets, uh, let me pull up the tweet. He tweets this, and it reads, down 21 and there are no shots or development throws should tell you all you need to know. And, of course, that is like a direct criticism of Brock Purdy. It sort of insinuates the 49ers don't trust Brock Purdy kind of going along with this whole game manager conversation that, you know, we've we've seen uh, Brock Purdy be involved in. And so Debo didn't immediately respond to it. Like I said, this was tweeted from Parsons Monday night. But Debo joined Kay Adams yesterday, Wednesday morning and was asked about it. And I have the video to share. Let me just pull it up here. Here's what. Debo had to say about it. Ha ha ha. I told you so kind of emojis, I think. First of all, Cam News, what stop taking my phone, bro. You was a fan like two weeks ago. Like, that's mad crazy. Like, you wanted me on your podcast after talking about my quarterback, which is funny to me. But anyway, uh, back to this Michael Parsons story. Like, bro, we beat you 24 minutes, 42 to like whatever the score may be. Like, like a long time ago, like, I don't, I don't get why he's so bothered about what we got going on over here or whatever the case may be. So that's what uh, Debo had to say, you know, immediately after he was he was asked about the Parsons tweet. As you heard, he also brought up Cam Newton, you know, because Cam Newton had stuff to say about Brock Purdy, the, the game manager conversation that we brought up here uh, on the pod not too long ago. And later that day, uh, Wednesday afternoon, Debo tweeted this out. He uh, mentioned Micah Parsons, and he said, you worried about us so much, I think you want a Niner jersey. This tweet went on to be deleted shortly thereafter. Um, and then, you know, shortly after, too, Debo did uh, post screenshots of Cam's text on his phone. And, well, this is these are the texts that Debo posted on his Twitter, again, deleted shortly after. And basically, I mean, it in Cam's text or, or font, his weird way that he texts, so everyone thought it was Cam. Even Cam Newton thought it was Cam for a second. Uh, I mean, you can see that there's a conversation being had here. But then Cam Newton says, that's not me. I don't know who that is, but it's definitely not me. And look, I mean, shortly after, maybe hours later, there were screenshots circulating of a group chat saying that Debo was catfished. And then there was a video of a young man, presumably the kid who was the master catfish calling Debo Samuel. You literally could hear Debo on the phone. Um, kid's hands was shaking as he was uh, on the phone with Debo. I would be too. Uh, but that's the long short of it. And... Yeah, here's the condensed timeline for anyone <laughs> needing reference. But what what do you think about this, Rob? I mean, it, what a what a mess. Well, first of all, selfishly, this ruined my night because on the Gold Standard Network channel, we have we do a five minute news update called 49ers in Five every morning, and it's just a roundup of everything happening with the team that you can get caught up on. You know, drink your morning coffee, whatever. So I put in that clip from Kay Adams. They sent it to me. They were like, "Hey, you use this clip." I was like, "Great." I put it in, you know, I was talking the whole thing. And then I saw the video of Cam Newton saying, Hey, I don't have your number. So I included that in there and I finished it up. I was like, Oh, great. Okay. 
And then I went upstairs and then boop, it comes out. Debo, I see the tweet from Debo. He releases the text. I'm like, oh, he checkmated Cam. I go back downstairs again. I redo the whole 49ers in five to include the, the text messages from Debo. Like, oh, he got him. I made my thumbnail. And I, I was like, you know, I'm going to be smart. I'm going to release this now because it's newsy. I'm not even going to wait till the morning. I'm going to put the YouTube video up now. I go upstairs. I'm like, all right, I finish. I have a drink. I fall asleep on the couch. I wake up at 1230 Eastern time, 1230 a.m. Eastern time. I look at my phone and I say, oh, Debo got catfished. Now I go back downstairs again, re-edit 49ers and five again, take the other video down. So thanks, Debo. You ruined my night. But I'll say this. I'm glad this is over now. We have bigger stuff to worry about than Cam Newton and Micah Parsons chirping in the background. Beat Washington. That is your only focus this week. <laughs> yeah, like, do you do you feel like this is a, a bit of a distraction, at least for, for Debo, who is in the middle of all of this? Well, I think it would have been, but now it's gone, luckily. So, and he's deleted the tweets and everything. They have to get right. I, I don't think the loss to Baltimore was as bad as everyone has talked about, but you still now cannot afford a loss if you want to get the number one seed. And I think it's very clear based on where we are with this team, the injuries that we have seen, which by the way, are really building up cluster injuries on the offensive line, cluster injuries at defensive tackle, cluster injuries at safety. You need that week off. You need it desperately. If you're going to be anywhere close to full strength at playoff time, so handle your business these last two weeks. Don't worry about Debo and Cam Newton. They're irrelevant. Or don't worry about Micah and Cam Newton, I should say. Handle your business this week, 49ers. Yeah, I mean, hopefully this turns into an angry Debo game because right. that's what we would like to see. Uh, Little Heater says, I got to hear that call. Yeah, I'll I'll post it here. Um, I was hoping to uh, connect with you, bro. I mean, we got some boys that look out to you. Look up to you, you know what I mean? Um, what's going on? Nothing, bro. I mean, I was just hoping to talk. I mean, look at I don't this kid's hand I mean, I was shaking. Calling to, uh, you know, whatever you got for the whatever. And the stuttering cracked me up too. Um, but yeah, I mean, in, in all seriousness, uh, Debo was asked on Kay Adams why he thinks people come after Brock after one bad game, despite all of his success, and Debo said, "Quote." It's because we're the Niners. It's the effect we have on everybody. I feel like nobody wants to see us win, end quote. Rob, we mentioned this some weeks ago about how the 49ers aren't underdogs. Like, it's been a long time since this team was the underdog. And speaking strictly from the mental part of it, do you feel like this team was better as the underdog or that they subconsciously prefer to be an underdog? Because right now, it feels like as the top dog, when, say, an underdog matches their physicality and their energy and smack them in the mouth first, the 49ers have had a hard time responding to that. I think it's always easier to be the hunter rather than the hunted. Uh, I just think naturally human nature, that's a position where like your motivation is sort of intrinsic and built in and all that stuff. I think it's just an easier spot to be when you are at the top, when you are the hunted, it takes a special kind of person to be motivated the same way you are when you're not on top. And not everybody has that even guys that are really competitive. It's that's just a different thing. Like, like I always talk about Shaq, right? 
when Shaq won his first championship, the next year he was like, I'm not training hard. I've got my championship. If I get another one, great, but I'm not going to go crazy. And meanwhile, Kobe Bryant is in there going absolutely nuts because he's like, we need more. I want more. That's how Tom Brady was too, right? Which ring is your favorite, Tom? What did he say? The next one. That's a special type of motivation that not everybody has. And I don't know that everybody on the 49ers has that kind of motivation, which is crazy because they haven't actually won anything, but they've been really good for a really long time. And I think yeah. but Nick Bosa said it earlier in the year, right? We were feeling ourselves and we were five and up. Fred Warner said it after the game. What did he say? Oh, we learned our lesson. We're going to take it one game at a time. Well, eh, maybe you didn't quite learn your lesson. And so now here they are again, right? Backs kind of up against the wall because they want that number one seed. And I'm, I bet you they come out extremely motivated against Washington on Sunday. Yeah. So like, I I was kind of wondering that too, like, does this loss give them that feeling back? It just feels like, and it's human nature. I think like you said it, there's certain rare type of athletes who are, have that competitive nature, like no matter what, but you know, football team is comprised of 53 individuals and not every single person is going to have that same mindset subconsciously or subconsciously. Um, And so do you feel like, you know, the fact that they lost, they got humbled a little bit, you know, you said back against the wall, this should help them get re-motivated again, right? You would think, I mean, how could it not? Unless, unless their only motivation comes when they're not the number one seed, I guess. But I, I don't know. I just think that it it does help the Niners that everybody's talking bad about them this week, right? This is a week that just, it stinks to be a Niner fan because it's all the Ravens did this and the Niners did that. And look at Brock and he struggles against the AFC North and he struggles against good defenses and all those takes are out. And they're going to hear all that this week. They're only human. I'm sure they've got, uh, Kittle told me that he's got people that text him negative stuff all the time. Like that's just <laughs> naturally what happens. Sometimes it's his mom too, by the way, which is a little weird, but you know, they're going to hear all that. And I think you're going to see a different team, a differently motivated 49ers team. Okay. So one more thing that I wanted to mention and kind of draw a semi parallel to, uh, the 49ers from this week in 49ers history is because when Steve Young was taken out of the game for Steve Bono, one of the things that he said after the game uh, about what Cypher told him, uh, quote, the game didn't mean anything to us, so we're not going to risk injury. It was very point blank. That's that's what Young said Cypher told him. And then he went on to say, quote, I try to make the point that it was worth the risk. I think you need to go into a football game desperate, but this is the first game in 14 weeks we didn't go in desperate. I think desperation is part of the NFL experience. We need that edge, end quote. That last part really like struck me because I was like, I, I think desperation is part of the NFL experience. We need that edge. Yeah, like, yeah, everyone needs a reason to to feel desperate to get a win and to feel some extra motivation, right? Besides just, you know, getting another one in the win column. Um, but yeah, I thought that was that was an interesting quote. And I kind of feel like the 49ers could could use that right now. Some desperation. I'd like to see it. And I think that Brock will have that because Brock had an awful game. He was 
awful against the Ravens. Okay. I want, I watched the film. I went through it. He was missing open guys. He was inaccurate with his targets. He was passing up guys that he looked at that were open. Like he didn't miss the read. He just didn't throw it for whatever reason. It was a bad Brock game. I think he was confused. I think he got rushed by the pressure. Like it sped up his clock. So that affected him. It was just a flat out bad game. And he's all shucks on the podium guy, but on the field, he's got the swag and the confidence of anybody. I think Brock specifically is going to want to go out and have a good game and prove to himself and prove to everybody else that, you know, I am good. I am a good player. And everybody that's been, you know, waiting for me to have one bad game to pounce on me is just wrong. Yeah. And I think we normally see like in games where Brock Purdy has thrown a pick, you know, we we see that he's able to sort of respond and not let it let it affect him for the entire game, really. Um, like if you recall, like the Browns game, he was able to set up the 49ers for a, you know, game winning drive potentially. Uh, and so in this game, it just kind of felt like it piled up because <laughs> there were so many turnovers that. Yeah, as Ryan in the comments says, the tip balls really got in his head. So I think it kind of just built up as the game progressed and he wasn't really able to get out of the rut because then he was just overthinking, um, you know, his decisions. I looked at it this way and I said this going into halftime. The Niners had three turnovers going into halftime and they were only down four points and they were getting the ball first with a chance to take the lead with one good drive. That's how poorly the 49ers had to play in order to lose a game. And I just don't think that they're going to play that poorly again the rest of the way. I really don't. And I think that we will see from Brock what kind of mentality he has. He talked about in the post-game presser when things were going bad, what he was saying to himself in his head, how he was talking about what kind of player do you want to be? Do you want to be a guy that folds up when adversity comes or do you want to be a guy that responds? Kyle talked about yesterday. He liked the fact that when Brock threw his fourth pick, there was basically 12 or 13 minutes to go in the third quarter. Like he had to continue to play the rest of that game knowing that he had four picks. I think that Brock is going to come back stronger from the experience. I really do. I think he's going to respond well. I think he's going to be motivated. And I think that you're going to see a much, much different team this week. I really do. Well, obviously, you know, Monday night's game, Put a, a different spotlight on the MVP conversation. Now people have shifted the conversation to Lamar Jackson being in the mix and being the favorite for MVP. Not that Purdy's completely out of it, but his odds have com- like have significantly dropped since Monday night's game. Um, so uh, two questions here. One. Do you feel like there's any chance that Brock Purdy could recoup, you know, some of his, I don't know, odds for MVP in the next two games? Okay. I I didn't think so, which is crazy because let's just say that game happened in like week two or week three. And he went on to, you know, get 4,000 passing yards and have all the numbers that he's going to end the season with. He'd, He'd be in the conversation, but unfortunately the MVP is a bit of a you know recency biased award as well. And at the same time, people take into account that the end of the season is a really important time for for a lot of teams. Like teams are scrambling to to make the playoffs, 
So ideally, you want your quarterback to be lifting, you know, your team at that point. So I think that that's part of it. But second question is, um, it, you know, do you think like the MVP conversation being virtually out the window could be a good thing for Brock Purdy and and maybe even Kyle Shanahan? Well, I know some people were saying that, um, but I think that was just coping, to be honest with you. Like, oh, we needed to be humbled. Oh, we needed to have this. No, like, it just sucks. We lost. It sucks. Um, I don't think that Brock was distracted by any of the MVP talk. I don't think he was like, should I study film? Nah, I'm the MVP. I don't need to study film. Let's play some video games. Like, I I don't think it was a distraction for him. I don't think he'll ever get back at the top of the MVP odds because I don't think people really wanted him to be there in the first place, but they had no choice because the Niners are winning. He was putting up good numbers and that's what we do with quarterbacks. And especially in a year like this, where there's like no real runaway candidate. So now that he had those four interceptions, it was like, good. We never wanted you here in the first place. You're gone. He could throw 10 picks the last (laughs) or 10 touchdowns the last two weeks of the season. It's not going to matter. He will, by the way, break the 49ers single season yardage record. All he needs to get is 114 yards in the next two games and he'll tie the record, which he's clearly going to surpass that. And if he throws eight touchdowns, he'll set the touchdown record too. So like, that's literally how good he's played this year, but the MVP stuff is gone. I don't think it was a distraction. I think that he gets it. Like he gets what he's supposed to do in this offense. He gets that he's supposed to distribute the ball, make the right reads and every once in a while, extend a play with your legs and do something like that. I think he started to press a little bit last week in his own words. He started to think like, Hey, I've had a couple picks. I need to make something happen. He wasn't wrong in that thinking like, yes, you need to make something happen. But the way to do that on this team is to play within the offense because the offense is built to quote unquote, make something happen. You don't need to go outside of the offense because of everybody that you have around you and because of Kyle Shanahan. And I think that maybe he kind of forgot that a little bit and I don't think he'll make that mistake again. Well, while I don't think that the MVP conversation was like a direct distraction to Purdy, uh, at least not consciously, I I do kind of feel like it's like I'm kind of glad it's just it's not even a conversation for him anymore because they're him, the team, Kyle, they're no longer going to get questions about it. They might still get questions about Christian McCaffrey, but that I'm not as worried about, or like, I don't think that's really going to be something that, you know, gets in anyone's head. Uh, I mean, for how young Brock Purdy is, and I know like one of the great things about him is like his, his mental fortitude, I guess you could say, uh, still, I, I don't, I didn't really like that he was having all this MVP stuff like mentioned to him in in the pressers and and all this stuff, even though I, you know, I don't think it really was a distraction. Now you can really focus. And and the only thing you should be focusing on is trying to get to the Super Bowl. And that's all I want the the 49ers to worry about. And that's why a lot of people, even when Brock was in the MVP conversation, was like, I don't care. I don't care about the MVP and, and whether Brock gets it or not. Sure, all of the talk was annoying, seeing people like discredit Brock Purdy, but that's still annoying, even without him being in the MVP conversation. And, you know, now I just think 49ers can just focus on what truly matters, and that's getting these next two wins and handling their business in the playoffs. So I'm just, I'm kind of glad that that it's out of the picture personally. 
I was surprised how many people thought it was binary, thought you had to choose between Brock getting the MVP and the Niners winning the Super Bowl. You never had to choose. It was never pick one. It was like, we can have all of the nice things. And like you were saying, Brock could not win the MVP and the Niners could win the Super Bowl too. So like, they're not necessarily connected. I would have loved for, well, let's just get everything. Let's get Christian McCaffrey, Offensive Player of the Year. Let's get Brock MVP. Let's win a Super Bowl. Hell, let's win all the awards. I'm fine with that. But I. I don't know. I don't think the MVP stuff was as much of a distraction to me. That is the result of handling your business and executing the way you're supposed to execute, right? If Brock does what he's supposed to do, hits the open guys, makes smart decisions, doesn't turn the ball over, the MVP will come. So he doesn't need to do anything extra to win the MVP. The MVP is the result of doing what you're supposed to be doing. And that doesn't change now that he's out of the MVP conversation. He still has to do all of those things. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, obviously the the MVP was just like a bonus. Like if you could get that recognition, sure. And I yeah. think the like angst of you know, MVP versus Super Bowl is because like in in recent years especially the MVP winner doesn't go to the Super Bowl or doesn't win the Super Bowl. So I think that's kind of where that came from from like fans of, you know, wanting to choose one or the other. Uh but yeah, we're we're not worried about it. The 49ers won't be worried about it. The only thing they'll be worried about, hopefully, is getting to the Super Bowl. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, okay, well, so that now brings me to, to my next thing about, you know, Dante Whitner put out, like, a video for NBC Authentic saying that the loss was a blessing in disguise for the 49ers. And he gave these reasons, which I, I just know. I feel like you're going to think it's silly, and, and you'll see why. Okay. One of the reasons it gave the 49ers defense a chance to see Lamar Jackson. It gave Wilkes a chance to go back and analyze the film and craft a game plan to keep Jackson in the pocket. It gave the 49ers secondary a chance to see how long they'll have to cover receivers on the back end. It gave Kyle Shanahan an opportunity to check the Baltimore's defense and see how he'd attack if these two teams uh, met again. See who he'd attack. Um, and it gave Brock Purdy a chance to get those turnovers out of his system. And it gave players opportunity to see the physicality that the Ravens play with. Literally all of these reasons only matter like if these two teams play again in the Super Bowl. And so like what we were saying earlier, it's like we don't even know that that's going to happen. So it, it just seems kind of kind of funny that literally all those reasons except for Brock um you know getting the turnovers out of the way uh relates back to a Super Bowl rematch I disagree with literally everything on the list yeah that's what I thought (laughs) first of all all the stuff about like Wilkes and Shanahan getting to see the Ravens that also applies in reverse that applies to John Harbaugh getting to see the Niners. It applies yeah. to their defensive coordinator, Mike McDaniel, getting to see the Niners. So all of that, that goes both ways. So I think to me, that's a wash. The other thing he said, Brock getting the turnovers out of his system. It's not like he has a certain amount of turnovers that he's going to commit this year. And then once he reaches it, he'll commit no more. Like he could throw four picks again this week. So that that's not a real thing. That doesn't apply. And the whole physicality thing. Yeah, the Ravens were physical in the game, but like, we saw Marlon Humphrey try and take Debo Samuel's head off. And what happened? Debo took two steps backwards and then gained six yards. Like, don't worry about the 49ers, you know, and their physicality. They're going to bring it. 
where I think it really, they got bodied is the offensive line. Colton yeah. McKibbitt especially oh, yeah. was absolutely destroyed on some plays, like comically bad. On one of the interceptions, he just gets completely whooped. On the one where Brock's arm gets hit when he's trying to check mm-hmm. it down to McCaffrey, go watch Colton McKibbitt's on the play. He gets absolutely annihilated. That, to me, is the scariest thing, that when the 49ers are facing a team with a really good pass rusher, which, by the way, we've seen in the AFC North, they've got some really good pass rushers along the defensive line, and the combination of that and the Niners having to do more of the straight drop back passing game, that's when that weakness at right tackle and on the offensive line shows up the most. That's the real reason people say, oh, the Niners have to have a lead and they can't, you know, they can't come from behind, which I disagree with, by the way. But it's because when they have to go straight drop back passing their weakness, which every team has, but that's when their weakness shows up the most. Yeah, I so watching that game on on Monday night kind of brought back my excitement for draft season uh, because <laughs> I'll be at the Senior Bowl and uh, hopefully the Combine again, and I want to see some tackles. I, I want to see offensive tackles, and you know I want to say to myself like the 49ers need to draft this guy. That's that's kind of what it's come to with Colton McKevitt, right? And you know what's crazy is that I don't even know if that's going to change how Kyle Shanahan feels about Colton McKivitz. Like, does he feel like Colton McKivitz sucks and that he needs to find a replacement this offseason? I I truly, I don't know. Like, obviously, he knows he had a bad game on Monday night, but I don't know if Kyle has necessarily seen enough to say, you know, we need to get someone better there because at every turn we've kind of seen the 49ers just not prioritize, uh, you know, offensive line as much as we, the fans would like. And it's because of performances like this that, you know, we've seen every so often it's few and far between, but we just know, like you said, Rob, when the 49ers have to play from behind and they have to face a really good team. And it's this like back and forth kind of thing you worry about the offensive line and I definitely worry about them. So hopefully this is the year that, you know, the 49ers kind of, you know, change their thoughts because it is truly the only one of their only weaknesses right now. It it truly is aside from some injuries. And there's a lot of injuries to track for the 49ers this week. Um, Let's get to it. So here I have highlighted the key injuries that I want to discuss here. First, Full participants, Brock Purdy, that's great, right? Like, okay, he, he had a left shoulder stinger. Uh, he's able to practice, so he's going to be fine for Sunday, as you know, a lot of us assumed. And look at this, Danny Gray. He had his practice window open. Danny Gray, who has spent you know all of the season on injured reserve, is practicing with the team. He has 21 days uh, to have his practice window opened and after those 21 days the 49ers can elect to you know put him back on activate him to the 53 man roster do you think that happens like it's kind of weird that Danny Gray is is getting his he's been cleared for a really long time like several weeks and this late in the season he's he's getting a practice I think it tells you maybe that Juwan Jennings is not quite ready to come out of the concussion protocol that maybe he's having, you know, some more symptoms, which is a scary thing. And we hope he gets well soon. And I think like Willie Sneed ain't it. Sorry. Like 
<laughs> Willie Sneed should not get a single target ever in the game uh, just for no reason. Like, I would much rather have Danny Gray in there. And you could say Danny Gray hasn't done anything, and that's true. But you drafted this guy in the third round. You thought at one point he had potential. We haven't really got to see a ton of him because he's had a lot of trouble staying healthy. But I would much rather see a guy like Danny Gray who might have potential over Willie Sneed, who he is what he is at this point. I don't mean to knock Willie Sneed, but you know, we know what Willie Sneed is. He's not very good. He's a guy that you rotate in and out of the practice squad. Danny Gray has a chance to be more than that. So I welcome it, especially because the one thing you know about Danny Gray is dude can run and he can run fast. And if he does nothing but open up other stuff for the 49ers, that has value. And that's something that Willie Sneed can't do. Yeah, I'm actually looking forward to seeing Brock Purdy, whether it's this year or next, seeing Brock Purdy with Danny Gray, a guy who could truly stretch the field. Because like Brock Purdy has shown too that he's willing to throw downfield. He's been accurate when he does. So that could be an interesting wrinkle to this offense, potentially. The reason that I don't think that the 49ers ultimately activate Danny Gray is because if they do, and I think, I don't know if he has to play a certain amount of games or have, but if they activate him, I think it will accrue his season, right? As of right now, because he hasn't played, it technically doesn't count in the NFL season accrual thing. And so that kind of matters because then, you know, in a, I think next year's will technically be his second accrued season, right? Which you want because then you technically just get a free year uh, with the player. So that's the reason why I don't think if you if you recall Clea Davis, similar situation last season, Clea Davis redshirted, you know, his his entire rookie season. But they did open his practice window late in the year to ultimately, you know, then shut him down. But I think they just wanted to get him some, you know, practice with the team with the intention of, you know, not actually activating him. Like what? But then, like, why do you want him around for another year? If he's just not contributing anything, who cares whether his contract tolls or not? Get him in there. Let's go. Get <laughs> play these guys. You could he be a punt return man. Could he yes. be a punt return? I know who can't be, and that's Ronnie Bell. He sucks back there. Okay, he's yeah. got three fumbles in three weeks since he's had to fill in for Ray Ray McLeod. And Kyle can sit there and say, "Oh, it's a concentration issue." Concentration issue. After that happens one time, Ronnie Bell should be focused on nothing else on the planet except catching and hanging on to that football. He's hanging on to a roster spot by his teeth. Like, what are we doing here? No more Ronnie Bell. Get out. Put Ayuk back there. Put Juice back there. Put Danny Gray back there. Uh, Ronnie Bell can't do it. He cannot be allowed to do it because, as we've seen, turnovers are the only thing that derail this team. Turnovers and injuries. <laughs> so right. let's let's continue looking at some here. Uh, okay, so limited in practice yesterday, Wednesday. Some notable ones: Debo Samuel dealing with a neck injury. Amber Thomas, I guess he was indeed injured, and that's why uh, Jason Verrett entered the game. Uh, Amber Thomas dealing with a knee and hand injury, and Trent Williams uh, was limited with a groin injury. I feel like Trent Williams is on the positive side here. I feel like all these guys ultimately are going to be good to go for Sunday, but just something to keep an eye on. As far as the do not practice players, Eric Armstead continues to not practice. Of course, part of the reason that the 49ers, you know, wanted to sign Sebastian Joseph Day 
Uh, we'll see if he plays at all on Sunday. Uh, Aaron Banks dealing with his toe injury. Kyle Shanahan did say that it's a sim, it's the same injury, toe injury that Aaron Banks suffered earlier in the season, though not as serious as that time. So we'll see if that helps him be available on Sunday or not. And the other one that's concerning to me is Jair Brown, who's dealing with a knee injury. He did not practice Wednesday either. Uh, so that could be interesting. Although I'm also curious about Logan Ryan just a little bit and and seeing how he looks. So one thing to keep in mind, and Kyle Shanahan has said this, at this point in the year, every Wednesday practice is just a walkthrough. So if you can't participate in the walkthrough, you're pretty banged up. So that is, you know, something just to keep in mind in terms of whether how we think these guys are healing or coming along or all that stuff. The Eric Armstead thing stinks because he's really good, uh, although hopefully Sebastian Joseph Day can can mitigate that loss a little bit. I'm really concerned about Jair Brown. Kyle Shanahan said he actually used that word concern when he was talking about the injury, that there's concern. It could be kind of a long-term thing. And the safety depth there is lacking. Kyle Shanahan literally said anybody that calls themselves a corner could potentially be used to fill in at safety. And then he even made a joke that John Lynch is potentially on the list. <laughs> um, they're thin oh, there geez. for sure. Cluster yeah. injuries, man. It's a it's a scary, scary thing. And the Niners weren't so you know super deep in the secondary to begin with. So I am a little concerned about that. More concerned for the game against the Rams than I am for this game. Although I have to say I was a little upset that the Commanders decided to make the switch to Jacoby Brissett because he's a much better quarterback than Sam Howell, and uh, he's actually competent back there. Yeah, and I think, you know, all these injuries just obviously highlight the importance of the 49ers getting that one seed, but at the same time, these injuries kind of complicate these next two games for the 49ers and, you know, being able to win those games, I guess you could say swiftly. Uh, but with that, like, yeah, Ron Rivera, Jacoby Brissett, Chase Young revenge game. What are your thoughts on this one and, and how this one could go? The Chase Young revenge game. <laughs> If the Niners don't turn the ball over, they'll win. And it sounds really obvious and simple to say, but it's true. They're just better than Washington. They have more good players at more positions than Washington has. They have the head coaching advantage by a friggin' country mile. They easily should handle Washington. I know it's a short week. I know it's an early body clock game, all that stuff. Guess what? You burned through all those excuses by losing to the Ravens. I it doesn't matter now. Handle your business. You have to win these last two games. You should not be losing to the Washington Commanders in week 17. I don't care if they play that game on the moon. And I think ultimately the 49ers will win the game. Uh, but you have to, have to, have to protect the football, including on special teams. I agree. And I, I think they're going to reassert their dominance. And I certainly agree that there's no excuse to even this being a close game. Right. And a lot of people I know have said, you know, Washington's going to play them hard. You know, Ron Rivera's, you know, hanging by a thread over there. Uh, so he's he's going to probably throw the book at them as much as he can. But even that I don't think is enough to, <laughs> to beat the 49ers because the talent gap is so large. So there's no excuses for the 49ers. They have to go out there and be the bully again. Perfect team to bully uh, Washington commanders. So. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm expecting in this game. Um, and I haven't thought, well, I kind of thought about some score predictions, but have have you, Rob, on this one? Well, 
it, it all depends on the game script because here's what I think could happen. The, the commanders are at home. If the Niners go out and score a couple of touchdowns, even like on their first two possessions, I think you take the heart right out of the commanders. I think they pack it up and say, oh, well, you know, one more week to go and the Niners will coast to an early victory. The longer you let it be close, the longer you let it hang them hang around, you get the crowd into it, then potentially you're looking at an upset. But I think the Niners are going to come out. I think they're pissed after what happened. I think they think if they didn't turn the ball over, they were going to score against Baltimore. And all the indications are with the way they move the ball up and down the field that that was probably going to happen. I think they're going to want to show it this week. I think Kyle has heard people talk about not getting Christian McCaffrey the ball enough. I disagreed with the criticism of Kyle's game plan, but I'm sure he's heard it. I wouldn't be surprised to see Christian McCaffrey get the ball a ton in this game. I think the Niners go right down. I think they score a couple times right away, and I think they just kick the hell out of Washington. Yeah, I think so too. I think so. If injuries are a factor in this game for the 49ers, I'm I'm going to have them at 27 points. You know, I think they get to that early lead, uh, like you said, kind of suck the soul out of the commanders early. But, you know, I think the commanders have a little bit of fight left in them. I think they'll score one touchdown. And I think uh, I'm, I'm going to say 27 to 13, because I think the commanders can maybe get a couple of field goals as well. That's pretty good. I think I would be in the same ballpark. I'll give the Niners 30, though. I'll say San Francisco 30, Washington 10. I'll give him one touchdown and one field goal. The the one thing about Jacoby Brissett, I feel like, too, is he's pretty good at taking care of the ball, which might limit, uh, you know, just the turnovers that the Niners are able to get, although they didn't force any last week, and that has not been the case. They've been exceptional at forcing turnovers. Yeah. So hopefully that that trend continues, but... I just, I really would just like, just get a win this week. So I can, <laughs> yeah, just like, I don't, I don't need anything extravagant. Like let's just get out there and, and get the win. All right. Um, yeah. Jedi says we win by 17 at least. That's a, that's a great prediction. Certainly could happen. Uh, but Rob, you know, that I think we're ready to call today's show. It was a fun one. It was a chaotic one talking about all the Debo stuff. Uh, but, you know, with that, I appreciate all of you guys that tuned in. Uh, make sure that you like this video. Make sure you subscribe to the channel if you have not yet. Not just mine, but Rob's as well. Gold Standard Network. Hell of a hell of a channel he has going on over there. And what is it, Rob? You said you have like 8,000 subscribers yeah, we're very close to cracking the 8,000 mark. Uh, so please subscribe. Um, that I would love to be able to get to 10 before, you know, the end of the actual football season. That would be fantastic. So if you haven't subscribed, I promise you it'll be worth your while. We do the 49ers and 5, the daily news updates every weekday. We stream live every weekday with long-form shows. Your show with Jason and Ponte is on Tuesdays. So everybody should at least go and check that out. I promise if you do, you will stick around for more. And then Sunday mornings on 95.7, the game, the the gold standard network hour, right? That's right. Every Sunday morning, 8 a.m. Pacific time. It's a new show. It's not like a, a podcast that we rebroadcast. No, no. It's original content that you can only hear on 95.7, the game. So make sure you tune in for that as well, because uh, this is going to be a get right week. So we'll get you pumped up on Sunday for the game. Let's go. All right. Well, appreciate all of you. Make sure you have a good rest of your Thursday, folks. Peace.